0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I am Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. Joe Works in Elmira, New York, and Chase Myers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, are both here, and we're going to continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We're in Matthew seven today.
1: Hello, Mister Smelser. Jeff. Good,
0: good to see you. Thank you. All right, so. Um, if we jump into Matthew chapter 7, we have this section on judging. This is a a passage that uh, so many people seem to know, Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. They may not be able to quote another verse in the Bible, uh, but they can quote this one, (laughs) judge not. (laughs) Uh, So, this is uh, well known, but it's uh, not well understood. So, let's take a look at it, guys.
2: Yeah, so this is right on the tail end of Jesus encouraging his uh, disciples to learn how not to worry, uh, but to rely on God as their provider. Um, and so I think this is a pretty clear shift in conversation that Jesus is having, but uh, it's a necessary discussion to have with them. So we'll just read this whole thing. Let's read verses one through six. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye. And look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. So very first thing Jesus says is, do not judge that you won't be judged. Very popular passage like Jeff has already talked about. And uh, guys, it seems like people kind of stop reading uh, whenever it comes to a passage like this. And isn't that what we're sometimes tempted to do with the Bible? We just kind of take out the one verse and we don't look at the surrounding context. But I think it is important to start with where Jesus starts. Hey, don't judge. So that you won't be judged. There is this idea that if you're judging someone, uh, the level of judgment that you're giving to them is going to be the amount that they give right back at you, if not more so. Uh, isn't this exactly how the world works? Whenever we treat someone a certain way, their temptation is to turn around and treat us the same way, whether for good or whether bad. And so the same would be true of judgment. Um, however, Jesus here makes a, a few different distinctions as to what he means by this. Um, starting in verse two, it's kind of that front end of things we've talked about. You're going to be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Um, so if you show a lot of mercy to someone, you would hope the likelihood is, is that they're going to show a lot of mercy to you. But if you're super, super harsh on somebody, then likelihood is, is they're going to be super, super harsh on you. But guys, it is the point of this passage to suggest, so everyone just leave each other alone, do your own thing, and stay out of each other's
1: way?
0: No, no. I think that becomes obvious, because after you get the beam out of your own eye, then it says you'll see more clearly to help him with the, yours says splinter, mine says moat, the little speck in his eye. Yeah. Um, yeah, That's right.
2: I think that's right. You have to kind of go into verse five to see what the whole purpose of this is. When you see something in someone's eye, you should want to point that out to them. But unfortunately, what are some of the motivating factors whenever it comes to pointing
0: out a flaw in someone's life? Why are we sometimes motivated to do that? Make myself feel better about myself by putting somebody else down. That can be a motive sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What else? Well, certainly, if somebody is pointing out something wrong that you're doing, um, then. If you can turn that on them, you know, t- turn the attention toward them.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, if I can just hyperfocus on someone else's problems, uh, I won't so much have to turn inward and look at the problems that I'm having. And so all of this comes from the mindset, you would hope, from a wholesome want to help somebody do better. And isn't that what you guys would want uh, if someone was to come and help you? You wouldn't want any ulterior motives as they're coming to you. You just simply want somebody who wants you to do what's right and to make the changes in your life. Well, it's going to be a whole lot harder to listen to them if they've got this big old log sticking out of the side of their face. Um, And so Jesus here, his encouragement is before you approach someone, you make that judgment and you see that they've made a mistake or done something wrong before you go to them. You need to remove that huge log out of your eye. Um, It's a call for us to look inward first before we go and help others. But that doesn't negate the responsibility of going and helping others. It's just showing the priority of first looking to yourself. And isn't that exactly what the entire Sermon on the Mount has done so far? It's encouraged us to take a long look at at our own lives and the decisions that we've been making before we try to go out and help others and try to be effective in Jesus's kingdom. Uh, this entire sermon is uh, around and circulates around uh, making the changes in our lives first. And so we shouldn't be surprised when it comes to judging others, the same principle would apply.
0: Well, and, and you know, we've talked a little bit about the scribes and the Pharisees. And early on, Jesus says, uh, your righteousness needs to exceed theirs, surpass theirs. Um, the, they had a reputation um, for being self-righteous um, and for condemning others. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus will make that point. And so, uh, when you when you think about this topic of finding fault with others and not seeing your own fault, that kind of fits into that um, that situation.
1: Yeah, and, and
2: Jesus uses a word that he's used in other per, parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Did you guys see it in verse 5? Hypocrite. And Jeff, I don't know if we did this in previous episodes on uh, where, where we've covered hypocrite and Sermon on the Mount. Do you mind to give a little bit of background on that Greek word? I know it's
0: pretty cool. Yeah, so etymologically, it comes from two parts. Under judgment is kind of the idea, but a lot of people talk about the fact that it was used... Of actors in, in plays in ancient Greece. And so I uh, can
2: tell by your tone, you're about to tell me that that's actually not true.
0: No, I think it is. Um, I think it is. I don't know how much that was in the minds of people in the first century when they used the, the term in the oh, first century. But that, that's the background of the word. Yeah.
2: You're yeah. just saying, it, it, yeah, there is a fallacy sometimes in reading uh, our interpretation of a Greek word into just simply the word hypocrite or something like that well it's
0: just it's just hard to know when there's a history of a word uh going before new testament times that how much of that was remembered for example um oh automobile how often do you think of the fact that the word automobile is self-moving self-motive that that's actually the origin auto self-mobile we don't think about that that's where it comes from but how often do we think about that? Or how um, often do we words. call it
2: an automobile? Build? Well, it's true too.
0: But anyway, but anyway, we know what a hypocrite is, yes. and uh, that's the point here.
1: I think the the irony of this text is sometimes seen when people who use it. Um, I was somewhat shocked when uh, I was reading um, someone was talking about uh, some of the popular cultural movements in America and that they were being condemned, and somebody said, you can't condemn those individuals, that's judging, and you're not very Christ-like if you judge, and I thought, wait, aren't you, aren't you judging people who, who are saying that, you know? Um, it, it, it's so convenient to use this text to sort of dismiss what's, what really is the issue, um, and so we have to be really cautious ourselves in, in using this. You know, we need to make sure that we're not just trying to to wave the hand and say, you can't tell me that I'm wrong because the Bible says.
0: Well, this is the thing. The Bible holds all of us up under a spotlight. The Bible uh, judges all of us. And, you know, we get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul talks about the responsibilities that Christians have to judge one another in the church, um and and even when we're preaching to the world outside uh we're going to in effect people are going to accuse us of judging because we're going to say god says this is wrong or god says this is what's required or this is right and the thing is people people when they when they come up with this well the bible says don't judge where they're really coming from is they don't want to be judged um and so they they like this idea that you should just never say anything about what somebody else is doing is wrong because they don't want anything said about what they're doing as being wrong. And
2: okay. So I've got a couple of things going through my head. So let's talk about the first one. Like, I don't want you to judge me. What's really interesting is I don't even know if they're technically using that word correctly. I think what they really mean is I don't want you to make me feel bad about what I did or about what I'm doing. Is that fair? Yeah. I don't want to be corrected. Right. And I think that's a helpful thing to see because like biblical judgment, it's going to happen whether someone tells you or not. Uh, you, you're, you're wrong whether you like it or not, based off of the choices that you've made. And so I think seeing our role as a Christian, it's not to come in like a judge, like in England with the wig and stuff and say, uh, it's, it's my verdict that you have done wrong. That's That's not the kind of judging we're doing. But we're coming in and we're saying the Lord has said what you're doing is wrong and and that kind of correction. And I I just think that's a helpful distinction to see because when people say that, it's just interesting that they're like, don't judge me. You just don't want to feel bad for what you've done. And it sounds like since you're kind of lashing out at me, you already kind of feel bad for what you did. Uh, you, You just don't like that I've pointed it out. Um, the second thing I was going to say, and Jeff already touched on it, is can we think of some other examples in the New Testament or in the Bible in general where, like, Christians are judging. They're they're making judgments a- actively or lack thereof. 1 Corinthians 5 was an example of that.
1: Yeah, the, the se- several examples where you have uh, people like uh, Simon in, in Acts 8. Um, Great. He was doing wrong, and Peter confronted him. Uh, Paul and Peter uh, recorded in Galatians, where Paul confronted Peter to his face, and so forth.
2: Yeah, um, I think about uh, Aquila and Priscilla with Apollos. Uh, They made a judgment there in Acts, the uh, 18th chapter, and pulled them aside and showed him the way of God more accurately. And so you see countless examples of this in the scriptures. Um, I was also thinking about, or, or even the things that were commanded to do Um, in galatians chapter 6 paul commands the christians there you who are spiritual restore such a one with the spirit of gentleness um but there's restoration if there's someone coming in to tell someone you you need to do better there's judgment going on there and so the new testament makes it clear that there are judgments christians are going to make uh toward one another and to the world but the advice that jesus is giving here in matthew 7 is is to first look to yourself before you go out and start preaching and teaching because it will render you ineffective, of course, if what Jeff is illustrated here on the PowerPoint happens. Um, <laughs> it looks ridiculous. And I really do think Jesus is being a little bit humorous here. Not humorous in that his point doesn't mean anything, but it is a very funny picture to imagine. So if you can imagine Jesus preaching this, I think it would have provoked a little bit of, of laughter. And uh, yeah, that, that is ridiculous. Like how silly would that be uh, for someone like Jeff's got on the screen here to point something in their eye when they've got a, a log in their head.
0: Yeah. And so there, there, there's a there's a point that we need to what there are two the two tasks we always have when we get to Matthew seven. One is to disabuse people of the notion that this passage says don't ever judge anybody. But the other is to get Jesus point. And Jesus' point is, look at yourself first. Don't have a double standard. We talked about hypocrisy a moment ago. And the idea of a hypocrite is, he's he's a guy has a double standard. Uh, One where he holds everybody else to a very strict standard, but then one for himself, where he lets himself off the hook for the same things he condemns in other people. And that's really what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, You need to hold yourself to the same standard, that you hold others to and in fact what Jesus says is you are going to be held to the same standard that you hold others to that's the meaning of you'll be with what measure you meet it shall be meted under you or yours didn't use the word meet but basically the idea whatever standard you judge others by that's how you're going to be judged
2: if I could also just say guys have you ever had someone with the beam in their eye come point out the speck in your eye yes um
0: so what is the temptation for the one with the speck in their eye? Right. <laughs> the, the, it's to get defensive, to to say, well, you've got this problem in yourself. And th- there's a story that I think that illustrates what we should do. You remember the story when David was fleeing from Jerusalem back in Second Samuel, and I believe it is the 16th chapter, where David... Um, is having to flee because his son Absalom's taking the throne from him. And, and, it's, yep. and it's the aftermath of David's sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and ended up trying to cover it up by murdering her husband. Um, but we're well past that now and, and, and uh, there's this occasion in his life when he has to flee the city and there's this guy named Shimei who comes out cursing David and he makes some accusa- accusations against David, which are not entirely true. There's a grain of truth in it, but it's in 2 Samuel, the 16th chapter. And here's what Shimei says, verse 7 and 8. Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in place in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. So what Shimei accuses David of is being guilty of the blood of Saul, and that it's for that that David is having to to flee Jerusalem and his kingdom being taken from him. Well, David wasn't guilty of the blood of Saul. David had opportunity to kill Saul, didn't, refuse to do so, and mourned Saul's passing when he heard about it. And David could have become highly offended that he would be accused of that and lashed out at Shimei. And David's nephew in this very passage says, uh, you know, let, let me go over now and cut off his head. And David could have said, yes, he's accused me falsely. Go cut off his head. But what David did was he focused on the kernel of truth in what Shimei was saying, and that is that he himself had been a bloodshed, a man of bloodshed. He wasn't guilty of Saul's murder, but what was happening was a consequence of his taking the life of Uriah and his committing adultery. And so rather than focusing on the fact that Shimei was wrong in his accusations, David says that, you know what, the Lord has sent him. This is is from the Lord, and I'll take it.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent illustration of, of what we're talking about, because the guy with the speck, or sorry, the guy with the log in his eye, there's obviously a grain of truth in what he's saying, or a lot of truth in what he's saying. So at this, on the other side of this coin is don't get so focused on the log sticking out of his eye that you cannot start to see the speck in your own. And so I think that's part of the lesson to learn as well. And as Christians, we need to re- receive correction from anyone, no matter the source, especially if the correction is coming from the word of God. And I mean, man, can you think of being the Ninevites having to listen to Jonah walk around and you know, preach repentance and, and yeah. preach it? It'd be hard, Yeah. but they did it. They, they repented the whole city. Um, and so no matter who the, the source is, if it's coming back from God's word, make the correction, uh, maybe kindly in a different setting, point out the log. Uh, you don't need to ignore that, but you need to go and correct them as well. But try to do it in a way that doesn't come off as, oh yeah, well, let me tell you this. Um, that, well, that might be a, a bad tactic, so, well, excellent. Uh, guys, do you see any connection to with what we just talked about in verses one through five with what is said in verse six, we'll read that again. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces.
0: You kind of have to make a judgment to know who the dogs are.
1: Okay, cool. Um, and and as well, I think it's fair to say that if you're making judgments and if you are you know, trying to help somebody get the spec out, I think it is uh, for us to consider the character of the individual uh, maybe as the proverbs talk about, you know, not not dealing with the fool uh, sort of situation.
2: Yeah, my my mind kind of went to the point Joe just made with specifically when we're trying to correct somebody, <laughs> when we're trying to correct somebody, and they're not receiving it, um, it's going to be a lot like wasting your time trying to throw your pearl before swine and giving holy words to dogs. Um, so, anyways have either of you ever worked with pigs yeah yeah i've I've heard other guys who i've never worked with with pigs before and what i've heard is that this is exactly right but anyways pigs will
0: eat anything yeah <laughs> there were a couple of stories in the news a few years ago some man up in oregon an old man had pigs and he all they found of him was his, his glasses uh apparently he fell in the pig pen and so, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I wasn't expecting and, and they, that.
1: They, they, and they are certainly powerful animals. And if you, if, yeah, it, we had had pigs on our farm when I was a, a young man. And, uh, you know, you get between them when they're moving, especially towards food. And it is a dangerous, dangerous situation. And so, you can imagine people that are acting in that fashion, um, uh, maybe even to say pig-headed, um uh, they they have no concern for what you're trying to do even
0: i don't know what this says about us i'm not sure how many webcasts there are out there where there are three people and two of them have worked with pigs should...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it just shows, it shows the superiority of our uh, of our skills <laughs> um, yeah.
2: and i guess i guess i got the answer i was looking for but anyways <laughs> in some ways i expected you guys to say no and we were going to move on but the, in fact i'm halfway expecting drew degrado to come in from the background
1: right now and say i've worked with pigs too <laughs> well, well drew drew and i worked together in new jersey so he may actually say something about that oh, oh that would be mean <laughs>
2: all I'm right not going so, um,
0: there. i'm not going there.
2: <laughs> All right, very good. Well, uh, would one of you two like to uh, read and take us through 7 through 12?
1: Sure. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets."
0: You know, one of the things about this passage, I think it's helpful to look at Luke's uh, account of Jesus teaching this same thing over in Luke 11. Um, And I'll just read verse uh, 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I don't think Jesus is talking here about just anything you want, ask for it, and God's going to give it to you. Uh, what was it, the name it and claim it doctrine that went around for a while? Um, no, the good things, but good things, God knows what are what are the good things and the things that we truly need. I do think this is a passage that assures me if I am looking for the truth, um, God's going to see to it that I get it. He's going to see to it that I find it. We have plenty of examples in the Bible of somebody who uh, was was the kind of person who would respond to the truth and God saw to it, he heard it. You think of Cornelius, you see, think about the Ethiopian eunuch who's on his way back to Ethiopia and God sends Philip to preach to him. So go ahead, Chase. You're
1: saying that you think that this... You think this applies to us
0: as a spiritual application to it? That's, yes, the, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, yes. you know,
1: I think I think that your your point would have validity if there were any place else in the Bible that sort of had bread and fish um, having a spiritual uh, message behind it.
0: Okay, I'll bite. Since you mentioned bread and fish, let's go to Matthew 14 or John 6. Which which account do you want to go to?
1: Uh, I would say especially John 6, because Jesus makes a very clear connection for us, you know, after he multiplies the bread and the fish, yeah. and he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, he's wanting us to, he, you know, he's wanting us to, to make a spiritual leap from the miracles that he performs.
0: In fact, he kind of rebukes the the crowd because they are working for the food. They they just want to follow him just for the material benefits. Jesus said in verse 26, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw signs. The implication being being, if you were seeking me because you saw signs, you'd be seeking me because you believe I'm the Messiah. But he says, That's not why you're seeking me, but because you ate of the loaves where and were filled. Work not for the food which perishes, but for the food which abides unto eternal life. So yeah, he used the physical food to represent the spiritual food that we really need.
1: And so it seems to me like this is just a great passage to connect. Uh bread and fish, you know, uh when when Jesus is teaching, we need to think higher. Uh, we need to we need to have that parable mentality and, and think what's what's Jesus wanting us to really get from these lessons. Hmm. I'll
2: also just say um we've been having Bible studies uh with a friend of mine for a while now and um He's coming from a church background that um, follows the teachings of a, of a guy who was claiming to be a prophet in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And this friend of mine has really started questioning these things. And uh, we, we met each other around the time he started questioning. And I, I truly believe that was the Lord's providence to happen. But one of the questions he asked me is, man, why am I the only one in this church that I grew up with? That's questioning these things. And why am I the only one finding answers? And I took him right back here to this passage. I said, you know, to my friend, this is you. This is describing you. You are asking, you are seeking, and you are knocking. And so you are finding the answers that you need about the truth. Uh, unfortunately, your friends are not doing those things. But if they right. begin to, if they, if they begin to ask, seek, and knock, they will find the same exact answers you were finding. And that brought him a lot of comfort to see. And I say that and I share that because there might be other people listening right now who look around them and they say, why is no one else around me trying to do the same things I am and following the Lord like I am? Well, because they're not starting with these three, these three things, asking, seeking, and knocking. Right. Um, and so I, I think that brings a lot of comfort to at least me as I think about all those that are lost. Uh, I guess a, another thing to say about this passage Um, is the way God blesses his children. There's actually been a lot about that in the Sermon on the Mount so far. But God knows what to give his children. And I heard someone once say about this text, you know, sometimes we are asking for a snake. Uh, We think we're asking for bread, but we're really asking for a snake and God gives us bread. Um, And so sometimes we're asking for the wrong things, but God is still giving us what we need instead. Uh, God, our father, he knows how to provide for us and he knows how to give us exactly what we need. And so, um, I also love guys, the connection in verse 12 that Jesus has, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. Uh, what, what about the law and the prophets has to do with this principle of doing, uh, doing to others as they do unto you? loving your neighbors, yourself? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and the law and the prophets, you know, hinged on that very principle. And so Jesus, yet again, in the Sermon on the Mount, brings the, the law and the prophets back into it. Anything else you guys want to say about
1: 7 through 12? So I'm just curious. I, I don't have an answer to this, so it's just a legitimate question. Um, he talked about ask, seek, and knock. And, and maybe just on a very superficial comment, um uh, that's a nice acronym to help remember this text. Uh, so ask a, seek s, knock k, uh, you know makes the, the acronym for ask. It, are those just three ways of saying the same thing, or is he making a different point by those? Uh, I mean that is a legitimate question. I, I don't think I've got a, a strong answer on that. I,
2: I think I see progression in these three things. maybe that's just me. So you have the initial asking uh, well what is this or where is truth or anything in general searching then becomes proactive okay i've done more than just verbally said this thing but now i'm actually onward going out and i'm looking for this thing and then further than that once i found it i begin to knock because i'm there and i'm trying to go in and so i see progression jeff i think you were about to say something though
0: yeah i i don't know (laughs) <laughs> thank you Thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, w- one of the footnotes and one of the translations says keeps knocking and, and I think that might add to, to Chase's argument I have no idea if that's based on the Greek or not um, uh, but uh, if that's the it's a, since it, that, that may show more of a of a passion a, a growing desire um, a oh. relentless kind of thing
2: Jeff, if I proved myself to be a good Greek student of yours, I would tell you exactly what tense "keep knocking" would be, but I'm having a hard time coming up with it right now.
0: Well, that's- so, well, uh, so I'm I'm looking at it real quickly right now. Um, so it is a present tense verb, and the present oh, okay. tense is a, is a tense that's it's an ongoing kind of thing. The only thing about that is it's a little bit interpretive. Let me. I just shut my Greek text. Let me pull it back up. The the thing about that is the asking is um, also present tense, and the seeking is also present tense. Um, so you you know the translation that says the footnote. Joe, you said it was a footnote that says keep knocking.
1: Yeah, it's the marginal reference in in a new, one of the New American Standards.
0: And does it have the same thing for the asking and the it, seeking?
1: It, it did not. That's what stuck out to me that it didn't. So yeah. I don't know.
0: Hmm.
2: so we do have a comment on facebook that i really like this is from edwin crozier who always has really good comments for us so he sees uh, uh, these three things throughout the entire sermon on the mount so asking he sees in chapter 6 9 through 14 which is obviously the lord's prayer seeking in chapter 6 verse 33 seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you and then knocking in chapter 7 and verse 13 Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. I really like that, Edwin. I had not noticed how those three things play into surrounding him out. So that's excellent. And now the pressure is on, knowing that Edwin is listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm surprised he came this far. Honestly, I, I think that about all of our viewers. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta
1: really want it to hang in with us. <laughs> that, that is very helpful. I, yeah, thanks. We, we do deeply appreciate when people uh make comments and ask questions uh, we maybe don't mention that enough but please join with us in the study yeah
0: edwin's actually going to be with us here next the next weekend friday through oh, sunday wow. preaching on prayer little plug there all right so yeah yeah We're maybe that's forward. why
2: maybe that's why edwin commented i'm kidding edwin i know i know that's not why he did that. <laughs> uh, okay all right so um Will one of you take us through, speaking of Edwin's comment there on knocking, can you one of you read 13 through, well, it's 13 or 14. We'll just talk about those.
0: Enter ye in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are they that enter in thereby. For narrow is the gate, and straightened the way that leads unto life, and few are they that find it.
2: My old Bible, it actually... Uh, you had to turn the page between verses 13 and 14. And it used to always bother me because my my mind would like take a pause as I turned the page, but my new Bible doesn't do that. Um, so guys, what do you think about these admonitions? And I also do want to say, as we get into this section, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, you have two choices. Make your choice right now. Um, he's going to do that here, starting with the different kind of gates that are there. You've got a narrow gate and you've got a broad gate. And this is something you can see so clearly in the world. Um, this is something I had to face in my life as well, where I was walking down a broad line or down the Broadway, just taking the way everybody else was. And w- why do you guys think people are tempted to take that Broadway?
0: It's easy, well, it, yeah,
1: it, it, and it, it may be more exciting and more pleasurable.
2: Yeah, yeah. There, there's sometimes more instant gratification that comes with the Broadway. Jeff said it's easy. I would also say there's a bunch of people that are going through it. Uh, just visually, w- where do you want to go? Where no one's going or where everyone else is going? You want to go with the direction everyone else is going. Uh, this kind of wisdom that Jesus is saying you have to have to be a part of this kingdom steps back and says, okay, I realize everyone else is going that way, but it looks like there's something really here with this other gate.
1: And and so the the irony, uh, maybe that I hope that's the right word, um, uh, and you, you've said this a couple of times in the text, from the text, and in, in your comments, Chase. Um, uh, when he makes the statement in verse thirteen, uh, "Broad is the way," and so you know the, the the street Broadway. You know most towns have one, but there's one that's more famous than all the others in New York City. There is a street called Broadway and that's where all the theaters are that's where the plays are that's where the activity is if you're going to be successful you know you want to make it on broadway um uh, and the 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 sadness of all of the immorality that is connected with that um uh, maybe maybe i'm painting with too broad of a brush but not very much if you're going to if you want to make it on broadway you're you're probably going to miss the narrow way
2: excellent i did I did not know that about New York, man. I'll be honest. I'm sure a lot of people did, but I did not know that. Uh, in verse um, uh, in verse 14 as well, it's narrow. And it also says that it's difficult, this road is, that leads to life and few find it. Jesus is never sugarcoating the difficulty of kingdom life and what it means to follow him. Um, what was that? doctrine you said uh earlier there Jeff ask seek knock name it, no- it. No- name it and claim, it, and claim it. it yeah that's right and I think a lot of people will try to take something that Jesus said and try to boil it down into easy points like this like oh this is all you need to do this is all that it is this is all that's required in order to be a Christian but if you really zero in on some of the things that Jesus says he makes it clear that this is a difficult path to walk. Um Mind you, that this entire sermon started with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, that's the kind of lifestyle that Jesus is calling his disciples to. So I always like to, to narrow in on that. Uh, this, this is a difficult way that we're taking, but it is going to lead to life. Um, there is so much more there than the other way. Any Anything there, guys? Just real there quickly, you know,
0: in the book of Exodus, follow not after a multitude to do evil. Oftentimes we judge what we think is the best way to go or the right way to go based on how many people are going that way. And really what you see in these passages, that's not a, that's not a good measure of what's best. Yep. Well said. All right. Uh, let's do
2: the next one. Let's read 15 through 20. Be on your guard uh, against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered uh, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Uh, Oh, Jeff has another cartoon up for us. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm ready with
0: the artwork today.
2: (laughs) Did you draw these, by the way? No, Scott did. Oh, these are Scott Smelser's. Okay, Tuesday edition plug. There you go. Yeah, yeah.
0: no, but you know, uh, we were talking about the beginning of this chapter and, and saying, don't judge me. Well, here's a case where we need to make a judgment. He may look like a sheep, but if he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, if he's a false prophet disguised as a true prophet, we need to be able to make that judgment. We need to recognize that. Of course, he's the guy that doesn't want to be judged. Yep. Excellent.
2: Excellent point. So earlier, I'd mentioned that in this last few sections of Matthew 7, Jesus is giving two options, the narrow way versus the broad way. What are the two things that are being contrasted here in this section 15 through
0: 20? I'm sorry, I was looking at Drew's comment. Drew was just saying, interesting that Jesus starts out with judging not, but then moves the conversation towards the requirement that we must make judgments. And that, and that leads... So, yeah, go ahead.
2: That leads right into the question I was asking. Yeah. You have true prophets and false prophets
1: now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and, and so, so use Dr- the words good and bad. Use the yeah, good and, good and bad. And battle with the,
2: you know. Yeah, exactly. And so Drew's exactly right. Now Jesus is telling us, How we can determine between false prophets and true prophets you guys have you ever thought about what it would have been like to like live back in that day where there were like actual prophets like people who were going around and were actual prophets of god mouthpieces for the lord it would be hard sometimes to try and decipher between which one is true and which one is right and so even in the old testament uh they give you kind of the litmus test to try and determine which ones are true and which ones are false. Well, the same is true in Jesus' day, and the same thing is true in our day. There are people who are claiming to be a prophet, claiming to have this word from God. And so how can we determine whether or not they truly are from God? Well, Jesus gives very practical advice here, as he always does. Um, He tells you to look at the fruit of that prophet. So what is a bad fruit? What would you guys call bad fruit of a prophet?
0: Well, if you have a, a prophet that is like the name and claim it thing, if you have a prophet and he is leading people into a materialistic mindset, he's having them put their hopes, set their treasures on things on earth. Well, that's contrary to the fundamental message that Jesus is teaching, even here in the Sermon on the Mount. You'd have to say, well, that's, that's not a true prophet of God. Yep, absolutely. The fruit of his, the fruit of his message is materialism.
2: Yes, so looking at his message itself, seeing how it lines up with what God's word actually says, uh, what about the character of a false prophet themselves? Uh, You guys have been around longer than I have, especially working with churches, and I'm sure you all have seen your fair share of of false teachers come through the Lord's church. What are some characteristic flaws that you see
1: in some of these false teachers? I think one of the things that is sort of even depicted here, ravenous wolves or... Uh, Paul talks about to the elders in Ephesus about the wolves that would come in from among themselves, Uh, you know, people who are wanting to to gain power and uh, control, Um, uh, you know, if they're not acting as servants of God, but instead are wanting to to have authority and dominion themselves over other people, uh, I think that's one of the pictures that you find. I think that's exactly right.
2: Uh, Going along with that lying, um, you know, I I know in one of the churches I was a part of where there was a false teacher that that was something we picked up on is he was telling one family one thing, but then he would tell another family that he was worried was going to find him out another thing. And so lying was one of those bad fruits that showed he was inwardly one of these ravenous wolves that Joe was just describing. So, so second, look at those kind of character flaws. Look, look at the hypocrisy in their own lies. Are they holding people to standards that even they themselves are not keeping? Would would be what to look for.
0: Go ahead, Jeff. let just saying, in Second Peter. Peter makes the connection between the false prophets of Old Testament times and false teachers that would come in modern times, in in, in his times and thereafter. And he talks about people uh, who have a, a motive of greed, covetousness, and feigned words. So he, hypocrisy. Uh, They're not even sincere in what they're teaching, but they're teaching it to make merchandise of you. They're looking to get rich off of you, that kind of thing. Um, He talks about verse 10, daring, self-willed, they tremble not to rail at dignities. So, these are people who will speak really arrogantly, speaking about things they they don't know judging people they they don't know in, in, judging in an appropriate inappropriate way and then so in the next verse Peter goes ahead and talks about the railing judgment that uh, we should not bring and uh he comes down in verse 18 he says uttering great swelling words of vanity sometimes these these people are people who can sound eloquent and they they can They can sound as if they are saying high and lofty things, great swelling words, but they're empty, vanity. And what they're really doing is giving people an excuse to do what they want to do. They entice in the lusts or the desires of the flesh by lasciviousness those who are just escaping from them that live in error, promising them liberty while they themselves are bondservants of corruption. So it paints a picture of people who are, are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? um not materialistic i mean they are but they are people who are caught up in in the desires of this world themselves and they are trying to seduce people with a subtle message that sounds high and lofty and spiritual but is really saying you can do what you want to do and so people with itching ears are going to love to hear that and and it's a picture it's a picture of false teachers
1: maybe something like self-seeking or selfish ambition uh and i only say that because edwin also uh commented again on facebook and uh, tied this text to james 3 very appropriately um you know say, uh, at the beginning of james 3 and then talking about how blessings and cursings come out of the same mouth so uh, and so those individuals who are doing that have bitter envy, self-seeking in their hearts, It's verse 14. They have wisdom from the world instead of from above and, and so forth. Uh, James 3, 9 through 18, I guess. Yeah, I was just about to bring up Edwin's comment as well. I had never
2: made that connection before. But how much or how encouraging is it that there are so many other passages we can go to? Jeff with Second um, Peter there and here Edwin with James 3 to see what that bad fruit is and so if you're listening to this the people you're listening to at church or or wherever hold them to these standards their bad fruit will show uh if you're willing to look for it but equally jesus says that there is also good fruit i mean that comes from teaching and from being a teacher and so you can also determine if someone is a good teacher and, and and a true prophet if they have the good fruit that jesus talks about here as well um And so this is just a really good encouragement for us to to not just take people at their word. That's it. But but go and and judge their words by the words of Jesus himself. Um, So, guys, we are at a really good stopping point. We can pick up here in chapter seven, verse 21 next week. But I did just want to plug one last thing that we talked about last week. Okay, we are trying to get an idea of how many people are actually listening to this. We know we have some live listeners but from what we can tell in our analytics, we have a lot of people who are listening to this after the fact on Apple Podcasts. But we're trying to figure out how many of those downloads are actually from bots or from people who subscribed to this years ago, but just haven't unsubscribed. And so what we ask of you, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or some other format, can you please leave us a rating? Um, There's five stars that you can give us. You don't even have to write a review. If you'd like to, that would be great. But give us a one to five star rating and we're keeping an eye on that. So that we can see realistically how many people are listening to this uh, after the fact so we just know how many people we're reaching so if you could do that for us that would be really helpful
1: so in the reviews would it be helpful if you said which of us was the best looking or something like no that no well? no we
0: don't we don't want them saying that <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> very good yeah. but we All do right. want well, we do want that it's helpful for us to know uh if people are are truly listening in. Yeah, that would be helpful. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks.